from Moses, by Moses for the people of God as they uh, wandered and waited in the wilderness. Moses, no doubt, wanted to encourage them through the idea that even though they don't always understand what God is doing, and even though it seems like he sometimes takes a long time to act, we can trust in his word. Perhaps you need a similar encouragement today. If so, I hope that this passage will indeed speak to you. If you're able, once more, would you please rise out of respect for God's word. This is indeed the inspired word of God. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood of the burnt offering into rows and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will sure, surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word, our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The grass withers, the flower fades, 
But the word of our God stands forever. You may be seated. Would you pray once more with me? Our Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you do speak, that you are not silent. We thank you that you are not passive either, but you act. You enter into history. You act on our behalf. You have done it in the past. You do it now. And you will do it in the future. We thank you that you are true to your word, that we can trust you. And so now we ask that you would teach us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I encourage you, as I always do, but especially today, even more so than usual, to either have your Bible open or, or to have your uh, bulletin open in front of you with the sermon text, uh, because we're not just kind of following it straight through as we normally would. We're, we're going to look at it a different way. It's a similar way to what we did a few months back. You might recall that there was a, a passage of Scripture, I believe it was in the Psalms, uh, where, where we talked about how it had a chiastic structure. It was a chiasm. You remember a chiasm is basically something that kind of starts in one place and, and it builds up to a main point and then it comes down from that place so that, that the two sides of it, as it were, kind of match each other. But the main point is at that middle point. In, in our Western tradition, right, we kind of build up to a main point. There's kind of this, then this, then this, and we build up to a climax, and that's the end of the story, right? But, but in an Eastern way of thinking, they had different ways that they presented things. That doesn't mean every passage has a chiastic structure, but I believe this one does. Uh, you'll recall, if you were here when we did talk about that last time, how, how I shared the idea of, of the Gateway Arch in St. Louis, where I'm from. Uh, when they built that, they built two legs. They built them together, and, and they'd get about the same place each step along the way until finally they got to the top, and they put that one piece in the middle that held everything together. That's how a chiasm works, right? Both legs go up together. Ultimately, that one piece in the middle holds everything together. So we start at the foundation. We start at the bottom, right? On the one side, verses 1 and 2, on the other side, verses 15 through 18. And we see that both of those passages there have God speaking to Abraham. That's where the passage starts and that's where it ends. And what a wonderful way for a passage to start and to end. That really should be the foundation of all wise teaching, of all good thoughts. With the word of God on one side and the word of God on the other. We could start in no better place. We could end in no better place. Verse 1, God calls out to Abraham. Abraham says, I am. And, and it's as if he's saying, reporting for duty, sir. Right? It's, it's reminiscent of Isaiah 6, where God calls out and Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Remember that God has already called Abraham in the past to go on a somewhat harrowing journey way back in Genesis 12 when he called him out of Ur the Chaldees and told him to go to a place that he would show him and yet here he calls him again and says take your son your only son whom you love go to the land of Moriah and offer him there's a burnt offering on the mountain one of the mountains of which I will show you it, it must have hit him like a sledgehammer in the face Right? We, we sometimes just kind of breeze over this. But just imagine as a real person right, being told that you're to take your 
son, your only son whom you love, and to sacrifice him. It's a terrible thing that he's been told to do. And so, so he has this command, and, and it's terrible, but it does echo and kind of parallel what he's originally been called back in Genesis 12. Remember back in Genesis 12 what he was called to do? He was called to forsake his family. He was called to go to a far away place that God would show him. He was called to trust in God even when it made no sense. There's another important connection that we need to make to the past promises to Abraham. You'll recall in Genesis 15 that God had promised Abraham that he would have offspring more numerous than the stars. And then in Genesis 21, he actually told him that it was through Isaac that his offspring would be named. So the, the shock of what God is commanding Abraham here now in Genesis 22 is at least somewhat counterbalanced by a question that, that has to be rolling around in Abraham's head at this point. Can I trust God to be faithful to what he has promised me? And Abraham believes that he can. And in this text, he's proven to be right, isn't he? Hebrews eleven, seventeen and following tells us, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Indeed, as a result, we, we see jumping over to that other leg of our arch today in verse 15, that the angel of the Lord called out to Abraham that second time from heaven. And the angel of the Lord, just so you know, uh, is speaking for God. Some people think it's actually uh, the pre-incarnate Christ. It's really irrelevant whether it is or isn't. He's clearly speaking for God. And he says in verse 16, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. As you have done this, and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply the, your offspring as the stars of heaven, the sand and the seashore. He goes on to say, your offspring, In your offspring shall all the nations be blessed, because you obeyed my voice. What he has already promised to Abraham, he confirms here. And he reiterates, he said that he has passed the test, as it were. And sometimes in passing a test, the benefit isn't just that we get a good grade, you know, or whatever. But, but actually we learn something about ourselves, right? We, we, we learn something about ourselves. We can be confident in our knowledge of a certain subject, perhaps. You know, I, I, I took my driver's test, and so now I can, I passed that test so I can drive a car now. And I can be confident that I'll do it. Not too confident if you're 16, but, but confident, right? I can go do this. In the same way, Abraham now can have confidence that he actually trusts God. He's been put to the test, and he knows. He knows that his confidence can be bolstered. Right? He's heard these promises reiterated, even as he sat there with Isaac who on that third day had been saved. Moving up the next step of our arch, we come to 
verses 3 on one side and verse 14 on the other side. And we see that both of those speak about Abraham and Mount Moriah. In verse 3, Abraham arose early in the morning. And take note of that. I, I wonder, with his early rising, sometimes people uh, teach all kinds of different things with that, but, but I wonder if it wasn't just that, that he couldn't sleep. How could he have slept, knowing what he was waking up to the next morning? Waking up early isn't something we normally do for something so terrible as that. You know, this last week, just yesterday actually, uh, Jack is, is uh, off at school, of course, and I, I don't know if any of you are soccer fans, but the World Cup is going on. And in the town where he goes to school, there's this establishment that had a watch party for all the kids at the school. And, and, and people showed up, and it was packed. They actually showed it on TV. But it, it's amazing how crowded it was. And students who got there at 7 in the morning for the 10 a.m. game actually got turned away because they couldn't fit in, right? He, Jack had gotten there around 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday morning. Now think about this. College students getting up to be at a place at 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday. That's not normal, right? It's something they were excited about. And if you watch the video from it, you can see they indeed were extremely excited. But this is not something Abraham is excited about. He, no doubt, is dreading it. It's, it's terrible. And yet he arose early in the morning, saddles his donkey, takes his young man with him, cuts the wood for the burnt offering, arose and went to the place that God showed him. Regardless of his reasoning for rising early, one thing is certain, he does not hesitate to obey God. And I was thinking about that, and I thought how often I do hesitate to obey God. So often we, we say, I'll get around to that later, God. I, I know you want me to do such and such. You know, I, I know you want me to get serious about this aspect of my faith. I, I, I know you want me to do this, but, and I'll get there. I'll get there later. Perhaps you're even in a spot right now where you're like, I, I know I need to get right with you, God, and I'll do that later. But it's always later, later, later. Abraham shows us here it needs to not be later. He is faithful now, and we too need to be faithful now, even when the tasks are difficult. Because Abraham is faithful, he, he gets to see the provision of God's grace. Now, now hear me, I'm not saying because he is faithful, he earns God's grace. That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is because he is faithful, he got to see the grace that God was giving him. Right? Because if he hadn't done what God told him, if he had disobeyed, he wouldn't have gotten to see the provision that God ultimately provided. But he did trust in him. And so in verse 14, hopping over to that other leg, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said on that day, the mount, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. He doesn't say it has been provided. He says it shall be provided. That's kind of odd. Wasn't it already provided in that ram? No. You see, there's something greater that's going to be provided because if we are scholars of our Bible, we know that in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1, we read, Solomon began to build the house of the Lord, right, when he's building the temple. He began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, in the same place 
right? The same place where this sacrifice was made, where, where Isaac was saved and, and the ram was sacrificed in his place would be the place that the people of God would come and, and offer sacrifices for their own well-being. It is the temple where sacrifice was made for the sins of man. It was truly there that the Lord would provide salvation. Well, the next step, moving up our arch in the chiasm, we see both in verse 4 and verse 13 the phrase, Abraham lifts his eyes. Some versions say Abraham looked up. That's a specific phrase on both sides going up there now that we see that, that, that signifies usually that something important is going to happen in the biblical narrative. Sometimes something unexpected. And, and on the third day, verse 4, Abraham lifted up and saw the place from afar. He saw something terrible. He saw the place of sacrifice. And just think how terrible it must have been. He had awakened on that one day, got ready, took off with Isaac. But then he traveled for three days. Three days traveling with his beloved son whom he was going to sacrifice, thinking about it the whole time, wishing that he might never reach that place. And yet now he sees it in the distance. He knows he is approaching it. He knows he is going to reach it. A terrible sight to behold. But later in the passage, on that other leg of the arch, he sees something wonderful. Verse 13, he, he lifted up his eyes and behold a ram caught in the thicket, right? He, he takes the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. A sacrifice in place of Isaac. A sacrifice that God had provided. The first sacrifice at the temple before the temple had even been built. Before Israel was even Israel. Abraham offered it up because Abraham was willing to give the Lord his due. That's the next step going up, up that ladder, up that arch. Abraham gives God his due in verse 5 and verses 11 and 12. Right, Verse 5, Abraham says to the young men, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go and worship. Right? We certainly owe God our worship. That's why we're here today. Right? We realize this, that we owe God our worship. And so we should gather together and, and we, we sing his praises and, and, and we hear his word read and preached. And we, we offer up our prayers and we, we spend this time ultimately partaking of his holy meal. We worship together because we owe that to God. But worship's not just something we do in this sanctuary. It's supposed to be part of our, our whole life. We are to live a, a life of worship. So we do that on Sunday mornings, yes, but we also worship God in the way that we, we faithfully follow the things that he has told us. We listen to Jesus, as we put it earlier. We, we worship God in the way that we love our neighbor, even though our neighbor is kind of hard to love at times. We worship in the way that we forgive those who have wronged us. We worship in the way that we, we pray for those even who persecute us. We worship 
and the way we make sure to always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have, but to do this with gentleness and respect. You see, par part of our worship is all of this. But our worship isn't the only thing that we owe him. At the end of the day, we owe him everything. There's nothing that we don't owe God. In fact, as we look here in verse 11, we see that the angel of the Lord calls to Abraham. He, he stops him from the sacrifice, says, do not lay a hand on him in verse 12. But then says, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Isaac was his beloved son, the one he had waited a hundred years for, the one that he longed for, the one that he wanted, this son who was a, a miracle child, this one who was the, the ultimate, uh, ultimate conduit of, of the promises of God, the, their fulfillment. He, he, he loved him. He loved him perhaps more than, than just about anything. But as much as he loved Isaac, Abraham loved God more. And I want to ask you this question. Is there something or someone in your life right now that you love more than God? Right? It might even be a good thing. A wife, a child, a, a husband, a, a parent, a friend. It could be something, not someone. There could be all kinds of things that, that maybe are good things, but we have made them our ultimate thing. If there is, we need to reposition things. We need to give all up to God. Now, it's not going to look like a human sacrifice, right, <laughs> in our example, but, but sometimes it might be just as hard. Let me just encourage you at this time to, to think about that and to pray about that and to consider where it is that, that you have placed other things above God. And what things you might need to realize that that is the case. So as we come one step closer to the core of our passage, and we're getting really close now, we see the next step is the elements of the sacrifice. Verses 6 and 7 on one side, verses 9 and 10 on the other side. We see a burnt offering. The idea with a burnt offering was you would slaughter the sacrifice, you would put it on the woods and you would burn it and the fire would consume it completely, right? It wasn't just kind of a barbecue and cook it up a little bit, right? It would be completely consumed. So, so if that is the case, you needed a significant amount of wood for that, right? A couple logs isn't going to do the trick. So Abraham, we saw in verse 6, took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on his son Isaac. He took in his hand the knife and... So they both went together. We see the, the knife and the wood and Isaac, the elements of the sacrifice, right? And in verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there. And then again, he laid the wood in order to, and bound Isaac and laid him on the altar. And he reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. I think most, most of the time we picture Isaac here as this little tiny boy, sweet little boy. Right, maybe six years old or something like that, there on the altar. But the text actually suggests that he's older. 
You see, because consider the amount of wood that was necessary for this. And we're told that Abraham laid that wood on him, and, and Isaac carried it up. Right? The text actually suggests, and, and many commentators suggest, that, that Isaac was actually in his 20s, perhaps, or, or even his 30s at the time. Now, now that might not be true. We, we can't be certain of that. But this much we do know. He wasn't just a little bitty boy. He was at least, say, a, a teenager, right? a, a young man with some strength, old enough to understand what was going on, old enough to know what was happening, old enough to, to fight off his father, who was 110, 120 years old. And yet, he lays there on the wood of sacrifice, submitting to his father and to the terrible thing about to befall him. He was willing to endure it because it was the will of his father. So we see the faithfulness of Abraham, yes, but we also see the faithfulness of Isaac. But most of all, we see the faithfulness of God. Right? Verse 7, Isaac said to Abraham, my father, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood. And he asked that question, but where is the lamb? Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Where is the lamb? The answer to that question provides us with the central message of this text and really the central message of the whole Bible. Really the central message of all of life. Where is the lamb? And verse 8, that cornerstone, that, that piece that comes together at the top, that fits everything all together in this passage, that really fits all of life together, is this. God will provide the lamb. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And so they both went on together. One commentator says this, Abraham's words should not be understood as merely an attempt to calm the curious Isaac, but in light of the fact that they anticipate the actual outcome of the narrative, they are to be read as a confident expect expression of his trust in God. You see, Abraham might not have fully understood what God was going to do, but he knew enough to obey. That really is where we need to be. We don't always understand everything. I hope you know that that's okay. Right? It's okay to not understand everything. You don't have to have every question answered. You don't need to have everything figured out. I hope Calvary is a safe place for you, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, to, to bring your questions so that we might wrestle with them together and explore them together in light of what we do know about God. And even before we get all these answer, questions answered, I hope you will see that God indeed can be trusted. If the story of Isaac teaches us anything, it is that we can trust God even when we don't understand what he is doing. Even when he calls us to give up the things that are most important to us. God will provide for himself the lamb. God did provide the lamb in this text, did he not? Not just the ram that Abraham saw in the thicket, but more importantly, he provided for us 
Jesus, the one who John the Baptist called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in our Unison Scripture reading just a little bit ago, we read about that time that he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And God said, this is my beloved son. Right? But that Mount of Transfiguration was not the last mountain up which Christ would ascend. He was still to ascend Mount Calvary. And there it is that we would learn that Jesus was the true and better Isaac, as Tim Keller put it, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from me. Now we can look at God taking his son up the mountain and sacrificing him and say, now we know you, God, love us because you did not withhold your son, your only son whom you love from us. And so as Christmas approaches, let us never forget that this is what Christmas is all about. God has provided the Lamb. He has provided Jesus that he might one day ascend a hill so that his father might slay him, that he might carry up that hill the very wood upon which he would be sacrificed, that he would entrust his life to his father all the while proclaiming, not my will, but yours be done. And because God has provided Jesus as the lamb, we can trust him. We can be faithful. We can be reconciled to him and to one another. And we can have peace. Right? That's what this table is all about. It's about the peace that Christ has purchased at the cost of his own body and blood through his death on the cross. If you don't trust in Christ Jesus, if you don't know him as your Savior, if you're not confident that, that he is able to save you, even as you are not able to save yourself, then I would urge you to refrain from partaking of the Lord's Supper. It is, it is something that he has given to his followers that they might proclaim his death in it and trust in his sufficiency for them. But if you are among those who trust in Christ Jesus, it is good to partake. And so if you'll look in your bulletin, you'll find a statement of faith, the Heidelberg Catechism, questions one and two. Before we partake, let us first proclaim our faith together. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit 
assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Amen. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Our Lord God, we thank you for this good and gracious gift. We thank you that in the midst of our sin, you did not leave us nor even demand that we pay a sacrifice of our own, but you have offered a sacrifice for us, the sacrifice of your Son, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. May we trust in him, and may that trust be strengthened as we partake of the gift of this meal. May we know you better, May we love you more. May we serve you more faithfully. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Elders, would you come forward, please?
Lord Jesus, who is with us always, is with us in an even more mysterious and special way through this meal. He who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, he who is our peace, invites all who are his to partake of his body. And so if you are, then taste and see that the Lord is good.
Partaking of the Lord's Supper can be a somber thing as we consider the death of Christ and, and the fact that our sins are what caused it. Living life in this world can be a dark thing at times. Uh, and yet, uh, there is a sense in which the light of God breaks through that darkness. Sometimes a light surprises. Hymn number 487. If you're able, would you please rise? As we go, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.